We know you're so great that everything is in your control. That there's nothing outside of what you can accomplish. You, you can do all things. And we know that you are ruling over us, sovereign over us, working out your will. And sometimes it's exactly what we want to see, and we know we just run into it. And sometimes we know it's different than what we would want. And we might pray a prayer like Jesus, please let this cup pass. But we know you're still sovereign. And whether we initially agree with what's going on or not, we know you are in relationship with us and invite us into this place where we can we can talk to you about what's going on in our day to day. And we're so thankful that we have that privilege to lay these things before you and trust you to do what is right, to do what is good, to work out your great plan in our life. So with that sense of trust in your sovereignty, we want to approach this passage this morning. We know, we know All things are in your hands. So please, would you open the word to us this morning that we might understand it, that we might live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right. We are in Acts. I'd invite you to turn there. We're in Acts chapter 12. Last week we did Acts 11. I'm so thankful for that guest preacher last week. Did you like him? Good looking guy. You know, really brought the word. So. <laughs> so it's always fun. You know, I'm, I'm in Illinois and I'm talking to family and, and you know, different people. And they'll say, you know, who's preaching for you this weekend? And I said, I am. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> yeah, I am. I, I'm there. Somehow. <laughs> so, it, it's fun. Uh, and I heard that a lot of you wrote encouragement notes to one another, right? Did you follow the instructions? You did this? Anybody receive an encouragement note last week? This is good. That, that's great. If there's two of you, I don't know, I would, I would have felt very encouraged by that. But I'm encouraged that you encouraged one another. So, this is good. You need that, don't you? You know, I always think like some of my favorite moments in youth ministry would be sitting in a circle of teenagers and we get these encouragement cards and we would put our name at the top. You have to send it around. Everybody has to write something about you that's encouraging. And it can't be physical appearance. It can't be like, I like your eyes because that's, you know, that's something else. <laughs> Not a love note. Uh, but, but, it was, but it was just... Like, I, I still have mine to this day. There's something about receiving a word from people, and it just speaks to your soul. So, I'm glad you got the chance to do that last week. All right, so here we are in Acts chapter 12. Um, <clears throat> we're looking at verse 1 here. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. 
And when he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church earnestly was earnestly praying to God for him. Let me set this up. Many of you know this story. It's going to involve uh, Peter getting out of prison uh, in a miraculous way. But um, I want to talk about Herod first of all. Uh, Herod. There's a bunch of different Herods in the Bible. Uh, just, just make it kind of easy for you. There was Herod the Great, and he was the king at the time uh, Jesus was born. We talk about him at Christmas time. He's the, that, that murderous king that wanted to kill all the baby boys two years old and under. He's the one where the wise men came to him and said, We saw the star of the king, and oh yes, go come tell me about it after you find him. That Herod. He died, and then his son, Herod, let me make sure I get the name right. Uh, the next one is Herod Antipas. Now, Herod Antipas, uh, he was no better. Again, seeking, uh, seeking the, uh, the pleasure of the people, you know, what do the people want, and kind of, kind of ruling that way. He was kind of a crazy guy, you know, if you read the Bible about him. Uh, he's the guy who wanted to, uh, wanted a relationship with his, his brother's wife. His brother's wife's name was Herodias. He wanted a relationship with her. And then John the Baptist said, no, that's not right. You can't do that. You know, that, that's not appropriate. And, and so Herod had John the Baptist thrown, Herod Antipas had John the Baptist thrown in prison. But he couldn't just kill John the Baptist because John was popular with the people. There's this people-pleasing thing going on. He can't just kill John the Baptist, so John was just in prison, languishing, and uh, wondering if Jesus was going to reveal himself as the Messiah dur- during that period of time. And, and then he threw a great party. Many of you know this story. He threw a great party. And Herodias, the woman he wanted to be in a relationship with, her daughter danced in front of Herod. And I think you get the, the picture that it was a, it might have been like a seductive sort of dance. And Herod was pleased by it and said, I'll give you whatever you want. And so the daughter said to her mother, what should I ask for? And the mother said, John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so it was done. Now you get... Herod Antipas's nephew, Herod Agrippa. That's the Herod we're talking about in Acts chapter 12. Herod Agrippa. He is also a people pleaser. He's a guy who wants to rule and, and, and please the Jews. And so he has James locked up and then he has James executed. And then it says in Acts 12, it says it pleased the Jews that he did that. And he's like, oh, this actually increased my popularity. They don't, they don't like these. The Jews don't like these Christians. So I'm going to lock up more people, and he goes after Peter. That's the Herod we're talking about. They're all murderous. The whole line of them, they're murderers. And they're people pleasers. They rule according to what pleases the people. They want to make a name for themselves, for the glory of Herod. That's how they do things. That's the kind of kingdom that they're in, not one that honors God. So he locks up Peter. Now, I just want you to think about what this meant for the church. 
They killed James and locked up Peter. James. James is brother of John, the sons of thunder. Like when you look at Jesus' life, you see three guys that seem to be in the inner circle. You know, you've got the 12 and you've got the the, the others that, that are around the 70 and then the multitudes of people that listen to Jesus. But in the center of it all, you've got Peter, James, and John. Those are the guys who Jesus spends that more intimate time with, revealing his life to them. They're the guys that are invited up on the mountain where Jesus is transfigured. It's Peter, James, and John. And certainly we know from Peter and John's testimony that that. They saw Jesus in all of his glory, and they testified about it. And I'm assuming that meant James did too. I mean, they saw Jesus in brightness, in glory on that mountain. So you've got one of the twelve apostles, one of the people that was closest to Jesus during his earthly ministry. And he's now what we consider to be the first martyr, the first apostle to be martyred. He's killed by Herod. And then Herod says, you like that? I'm going to lock up Peter too. Can you imagine being in the church in that day? And one of the twelve is killed. And now Peter, the guy who you look to for leadership in the church, he's locked up. He's heading for execution. Because if we know anything about Herod, he's going to follow suit. He's going to do this and get more and more popularity for himself. And so the church, I'm sure they're scared. I'm sure they're worried. They're anxious. If James was killed, what's he going to do to Peter? And it says in verse 5, and this is the pivot point, I think, right here. This, This is like, you know, check this out. So Peter was kept in prison, but... But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. I want to talk about prayer. Because everything that's going to happen next is a result of prayer. I mean, and spoiler alert, you know, Peter's going to get out of prison, you know. And the crazy thing about this whole text, as we read it, I want you to look at it and see that everything that God does here in answer to prayer, it's like nobody can believe it's happening. Like, everybody we're going to see in this text. I mean, everybody believed that James was killed. But when Peter breaks out of prison, he can't believe it. The the disciples can't believe it. Nobody can believe that he actually got out. And so I want to say something very simple about prayer today. And that it produces the unbelievable. Like, I never would have believed it. But I know that I said that to God, and I know he did something. I know that I was in these circumstances and now I'm not. I know I felt this way and now I don't. Prayer produces the unbelievable. And you're going to see that as we read this text. And so uh, I'm, I'm encouraged right away here in this because Peter's in prison and the church is praying for him. And I love that the Bible kind of gives us like, this is just like us, you know, like this is what we do. Are you sick? You pray. Is someone in your family in trouble? You pray. Uh, Is there a certain suffering in your life? Well, then you pray. We don't over-spiritualize things. You know, I think sometimes we hear passages like James where 
consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because those trials produce perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work, you know. Yeah, yeah. Suffering produces character in me. But that doesn't mean that I don't get on my knees and say, God, let this cup pass. Let the cup pass. I don't want to go through this. And I would love it if you just reach down and change this circumstance all the way. I just want you to reach down and heal me. I just want you to reach down and change what's going on with this family member. I just want you to just do this. Just miraculously do something here. Do the unbelievable. And that is certainly a prayer that honors God. And and, and sometimes I don't pray that prayer because I'm like, well, you know, the suffering's producing character, right? And that's a good thing, right? No. Pray those great outlandish, unbelievable prayers. Because this is what's going to happen sometimes, as we can see. Prayer produces the unbelievable. Here's what happens. Acts 12, verse 6. The night before Herod was about to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. And sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and the light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side. Whap. (laughs) Woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chain fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and your sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he really had no idea... What the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards and they came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. And then Peter came to himself and said, Oh, now I know without a doubt the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. And and I love this. Prayer produces unbelievable things. Peter, I mean, he's sleeping. He, he, he's sleeping. And, and the angel of the Lord has to like poke him, you know, wake him up. Just like you kids in the morning on Sunday. <laughs> wake up, Peter, you know. Uh, get up. And he sees the chains fall off of him. And he thinks he's seeing a vision. Now, you know, Peter's a guy who sees visions. So this is not like too weird, right? You know, I mean, you might read this and go, I don't think I see visions when things happen, you know. But but Peter just saw the vision, right, of the unclean animals and God said, kill and rise, Peter, kill and eat. I can't do that, Lord. You know, I've cleaned these animals. Okay, I'll, I'll you know. And that, and if you hear the last two weeks, we've talked about that. I talked about it last week and uh, Mohia talked about it the week before. Uh, seeing a vision, hearing God talk to him, Peter is, in some ways, accustomed to that. It's happened before. And when the, when the angel goes to wake him up, he's, he's like, I must be seeing things, you know? And it's like the angel has to be like, Peter, it's a jailbreak. Get up. Let's go. Like, really? I'm here to get you out. Seriously. <laughs> Sometimes the jailbreak's just a jailbreak, right? You know, you just got to go. It's not something else. It's not, it's not spiritualized. It's, let's go. Let's get out of here. And so... And so Peter, he gets out of there. And he realizes as he's walking out of the city, oh, this was real. Like, I'm really out of the city. 
oh my goodness, this wasn't a vision. You know, and, and sometimes I just think it's funny because sometimes for me, like I want to see circumstances happening and say, oh, what's the spiritual meaning behind this? You know, what does this mean over here? And what's this mean over here? And sometimes it's just like, it is what it is. It's exactly what it is in front of you, you know. It's a jailbreak. Get on out of there. That's what it is. Let me say this and what prayer produces in us. Number one, prayer produces unbelievable peace. Prayer produces unbelievable peace even as you sleep between two prison guards on the eve of your execution. You see that? Like, what's... It took me a while. I, I read this passage a bunch of times, and suddenly like, it hit me. I read it, and I'm like, he's sleeping. The angel of the Lord has to like, poke him to wake him up. He's sleeping soundly. He may be snoring, you know? Uh, he, he is out, chained between two guards. Sometimes I don't sleep well in a hotel, hotel bed, you know what I mean? You come home from your vacation, and what's the first thing you think? Oh, it's my bed, you know? The bed that I'm comfortable in, right? And Peter's sound asleep, chained between two guys. You, you can sleep under those circumstances. As the church prays for Peter, I'm pretty sure they're praying prayers like, Lord, give him peace. Lord, give him peace as he's sitting in that prison and Peter is out like a light. Listen, sometimes... You and I feel chained to certain people. And you're like, God, when are you going to give me relief from that person, right? Sometimes you feel chained <clears throat> to a certain circumstance. God, when I get the news next week, what's that going to sound like? But the awesome power of prayer here is, on the eve of your execution, chained between two prison guards, you might be able to sleep like a baby. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that, that is unbelievable to me. Peter is sleeping. When you pray for peace, the Lord gives it. And sometimes... The chains don't fall off, but you just get to sleep there and rest in the Lord. All right, so Peter realizes it's, uh, it's not a vision. There's no secret spiritual meaning to this. I'm just really free. And I, I just picture a moment with Peter where he's like, wait a minute, if I'm not there... And the guards realize it. What's going to happen to me? You know? Like, what happens when you break out of prison? Well, well, well what happens if you're a convict and you escape? You've seen enough movies. They're all looking for you. you know, it's a fugitive, right? Peter's a fugitive. And he's on the run. Okay. So, um, here we are. Where, where do we leave it off? Uh, verse 12. When this had dawned on him, you see what I mean? When it had dawned on him, it's like, oh yeah, I'm a fugitive. Uh, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. So, so John Mark's mother, Mary, where, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked 
at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, that's a key piece of information. When, when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it. And she exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. I mean, let's go with superstition because it can't possibly be him. Uh, but Peter kept on knocking. I love this. It's like, you know, let me in. Like, I'm on the run, right? You know, like, I'm the escaped convict. Let me in. I love it. And he kept knocking. And when they opened the door and they saw him, they were astonished. And Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. I mean, can, can you just can you just see this? Peter, hey! Shh, you know, shh, really? Guys, come on! All right. Uh, maybe they think that he was released by Herod. I mean, they have no clue. They have no clue what just happened. He's like, guys, quiet. Come on. Um, and they described how the Lord brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said. And then he left for another place. I mean, I love it. I love it. And I also love, I love when uh, characters that show up once are like mentioned by name. I love that. So, so this is Rhoda. Uh, her name means Rose. And she goes to the door. Peter's knocking. And she is so thrilled to hear his voice. And it's like so, again, so unbelievable. She does not open the door. Like she just goes and tells everybody inside. She is so excited about what's just happening. And the people inside, like they're having a prayer meeting, but maybe never considered the fact that, well, we're praying for Peter and he really could show up tonight. Like, don't you love it when you pray? I say that sarcastically, but don't you love it when you pray? And it's almost like you don't expect the answer, and yet the answer has come in a beautiful way. And you're like, I didn't even think that would happen. I didn't even think. Prayer produces, um, number two, unbelievable joy. Even as the Lord does more than we can expect or imagine. I mean, that's biblical. That's out of Ephesians. God does more than we expect or imagine. Think about the ways your prayer life might be hindered because you don't pray big prayers. You know? Think about the things you miss because you're just not expecting it. Um, Jesus tells us to ask, seek, and knock, right? In prayer, ask, seek, and knock. Some of us ask but we don't listen for the answer. Some of us seek, but we're not really looking for anything to happen. Some of us are knocking, but then when the doors open, we don't walk through it. You know, like we're just, it's like we've talked to God, but I don't know if it's doubt. I don't know if it's just like just the human condition where we're not, we're not looking for that right in front of us. But God will do it. When we ask Him, he answers. And yeah, sometimes he says, wait. And I know that's, uh, waiting is not an immediate, like, like here it is right here. I, I get that. But what about the times when he says, yes, right now, right here, it happens. Have you ever prayed expecting an answer right now and knowing that God could do it right now? Because I think I'm much more like the disciples who are in a prayer meeting praying for Peter and he shows up at the door and we're like, no, it's not him. It cannot be him. Rhoda, you're out of your mind. But then when they open the door, 
and they see Him in the flesh, unspeakable, unbelievable joy. And that's what God does when He answers our prayers. It's joy for you. It's joy for me. It's like, who could do that but God? And you all have stories like that because I hear them. When you would say, who could do this but God? And it produces this joy in you. I find this a comical story um, because no one can believe what's really happening. But the story doesn't start out comical. If you go back to the beginning of, the, of, the, of chapter 12 here, you still got to wrestle with James was killed. James was killed. Peter's out. James was killed. And maybe you relate more to that feeling than a jailbreak. I get it. It's okay to relate to James. Let me say thirdly about James. Uh, it's not that I, it's not that James wasn't prayed for. You know, I, I am sure. I am sure that James was prayed for by the church. If not by the church, certainly by James himself. And I'm sure James was a spiritual man, great guy, in Jesus' inner circle of three, important to the beginning of the church, testifying about Jesus' resurrection and saying, not only did I see him resurrected, I saw him on the mountain, shining in all of his glory. I saw Moses and I saw Elijah with him. You know, I'm sure James was like one of those guys where you just wanted to hear the story. He was, he was James, son of thunder. And yet, he was killed. And it's a reminder that I am not essential to the kingdom of God going out. None of us are. It's whatever God's plans are for me. But whatever his plans are for me and whatever his plans are for you, whether by life, whether by suffering, whether by death, prayer produces unbelievable glory to God. Even if it means difficult circumstances in your life, it produces unbelievable glory to God. I was thinking about how, I think it was Jesus who, who talked about um, how the first apostles would suffer. And it says, he, he, he told Peter or John, I'm trying to remember who, you know, what kind of death they would die, what, how they would glorify God in death, I think is how the scripture reads. Whatever happens to you, whether it's a jailbreak, or whether it's the execution, or whether it's somewhere in between, it's to the glory of God. And so when we pray, I don't, it's no accident that Jesus' first words in the Lord's Prayer is, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Like everything I'm going to say to you today, but, but I just want to get this right. Lord, glorify your name. Hallow your name. In my life, in my suffering, in whatever I do, in the good, in the bad, will you gain glory for yourself. And that's what James did when he died by Herod's sword. It produces unbelievable glory for God. Just... Just being in Illinois for a week, you know, and hearing, you always catch up on stories and things you're hearing and just heard about a young man uh, just last week who died, 16 years old, semi-hit him. 
He has family members going to Uganda to adopt a child. And it's like, what's going on? What's going on? Um, I, I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why James dies by the sword and Peter gets a jailbreak. Now, we know, really, Peter is going to die. Traditionally, tradition tells us he was crucified upside down. Didn't want to die like his Lord Jesus. But I can say this. God had more work for Peter to do until he gave his life. And if you're still here, God has more work for you to do before you go and meet him face to face. There is more for you to do if you're here today and living. So produce unbelievable glory for God. Pray, 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 and watch God do things with the circumstances of your life. I mentioned the young guy because I don't know how his life will glor- I don't know how his death will glorify God, but I certainly believe it will. I certainly believe it will. Finally, end of the text. We get this um, what's it called a postscript, you know, a, a epilogue at the end here, um, and I think this is very important. Um, In the morning, this is verse 18, in the morning there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. No kidding. It was their life on the line. After Herod had a thorough search made for him, did not find him because Rhoda let him in just in time, um, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. I mean, again, I read this story and I'm like, in the humor of it all, there's some tough stuff. And that's just like life, isn't it? Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea, and he stayed there a while. He'd been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace, because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. And they shouted, This is the voice of a god and not a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. This, um, I was reading the historical account of this by Josephus, uh, of Herod's death and all this. Um, Just like it says here, uh, Josephus adds the details. He was in Caesarea. You know, he was there, and people were shouting and calling him a god after he gave his address. And it says he didn't, he didn't uh, turn the praise back to God. He, he, he took it like, yes, that, that is who I am, you know. And then it says he was struck with severe stomach pains. And, it's, and Josephus says for five days he suffered with stomach pains, severe pain, and then died. And that was the end of Herod Agrippa. And I think it's important to note here at the end, prayer puts you in a posture of humility. Prayer says, oh God, let this cup pass. I don't want to be like James. But if you choose not to, I'll drink it. I'll drink it. Prayer puts you in a posture of humility. Herod has no room for that. Herod's about his glory, his kingdom, his power. It's all about Him. Maybe for some of you, 
you identify most with Herod. Not because you're a murderous tyrant. I didn't call you that. But maybe because you're the king of your own life. And you've lived according to the popularity of people. Whatever people are doing, whatever culture says, I go with that. I just go with whatever the people say. Whatever makes me look the best. As long as I'm ruling over my own life and doing what I want to do. There is a huge reversal coming for those that exalt themselves. I read this and I think of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar goes insane for a time, for a number of years. This is what God does. You want to exalt yourself? I'll bring you down. I read this and I think to myself, I was thinking about prayer this week and I'm thinking like, we've got to pray for our leaders. We've got to pray for our president that they wouldn't walk in this path of self-exaltation. Right? Because this is where it goes. This is where it goes. God brings you down and you come down hard. And the worms ate Herod. But if you're here and you're saying, yeah, I... That's me. I've been king of my life for a long time. I'm just going with the flow. What culture says, that's what I do. We've all been there. We all still do that. We all still sin. But we know a Savior that forgives us, that died for us, to forgive us from all that we've done. Can I ask you to bow your head and close your eyes now? Worship team, you can come up now. If this is making sense to you and for the first time you want to say, yeah, I want that forgiveness. I don't want the great reversal to happen in my life where I die without God because I've exalted myself. I want to humble myself today. Ask God for forgiveness. And I want to follow Him. He's my King, not me. He's my God, not me. If that is in your heart today and you want to respond for the first time, to receive forgiveness of sins and Jesus, Lord of your life. Would you look up at me if, if this is like a day for you where you want to do that? I see you, sir. Awesome. Anybody else? Anyone else? Would you pray something like this in your heart? Lord Jesus, today I get it. Today I understand that as much as I can do things my way, be my own king, it's not going to turn out well. Because you rule over all. So Lord, today, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He paid the price for my mistakes, for my disobedience. Would you forgive me? Would you cleanse my soul? Would you help me follow you now all the days of my life? Would you help me live for you? Would you help me be on mission for you? My life is yours. And you can do with me like James or like Peter. I will follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.